Thank you very much. And I will not uh, take much of your time because the goal here is to actually hear from the discussants and the panelists. But just to give a little bit of an historical and what this, uh, this, uh, this note is about. Uh, we started uh, in the World Bank in the Eastern Europe and Central Asia region, uh, some work on digital, digitalizing delivery of human development services, education, health, social protection. And the big question that emerges is like, what it means to do digital? Everybody is doing digital, but, but we couldn't find, uh, you know, 30 page concise notes that actually explain what's the objective to the digitalization, what's the pros, what's the cons, and especially how are pathways towards digitalization? What are preconditions? What should countries expect and what should countries do at different stages of development? Now, we, uh, you know, just to give an example, uh, even in, in the World Bank, we are doing social registry everywhere, but clearly uh, social registry like the Registro Social de Hogares in Chile, <laughs> it's different than a social registry uh, and what we should expect from a social registry in a much uh, in a low income setting. So, so we, we kind of need to, to put order in our thoughts. Uh, and just to give another example, doing uh, text messaging uh, for uh, encouraging uh, people to apply to social benefits is different than really digitalizing all the core arch architecture of a social registry and payment systems. But sometimes all that is, uh, is a little bit put together in a big digital soup. So what we try to do here is not a 500 page report, but it's really something for policymakers, for us to discuss, to have in hand, to give a, a little bit order in our thoughts and to kind of discuss a little bit what we should expect at different stages of uh, both uh, economic development, but also digital development. Uh, so so, so that, that's the, the, the flavor of uh, the note. And uh, with that flavor, we would really welcome uh, the, the discussion and the participants' views on, 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 on feedback and also on whether what we propose to do is relevant. I stop here. Uh, Chris Lo, 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 uh, sorry, now I am the one who doesn't know how to pronounce your <laughs> last name. <laughs> Löwe uh, in German. But uh, Chris Löwe uh, is the one who really did all the hard work. So uh, she is presenting and, uh, and uh, I give the floor to her. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. Um, and yeah, thanks. For those who joined uh, in the room and online, it's um, it's a, a small group, but it will be great, as as Tamela said, to kind of actually test this thinking because this is not yet finalised, and um, we're hoping to publish, you know, in a, in a couple of months. But it, there's still some opportunity to to shape the thinking. So looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts. Um, I'll dive right into the findings then. Uh, so the first part of the research basically looks at how technology has actually been used in the delivery of social protection and, and labour services or public employment services. Um, and we did that using a framework from the World Bank that's basically um, the key kind of operational phases of service delivery and social protection. Um, and what we found is that there's examples across this entire delivery chain of how uh, technology is being used um, with the aim of enhancing uh, the delivery of social protection. I don't have time to go into all the examples, but at each stage, so in outreach, we see you know digital awareness campaigns, virtual information resources, the use of AI, and um, in the registration and kind of intake registration assessment process, we see 
um, how digital platforms are being used for people to be able to apply for schemes, but also to identify, to proactively identify um, potential recipients, um, and then their information being stored in digital registries, uh, linked with other sector databases at times, and also using new forms of data and statistical analysis or AI techniques as well in the assessment process to, to determine what needs a person has. And then in the enrollment stage as well, uh, there's some use of um, automated decision making there, which has also been quite controversial in cases or, or automatic triggers to kind of, in the case of a natural hazard, for example, to expand the program to many more people. Um, in the service provision or benefit provision stage, uh, we have the use of both on the back end of, of payments administration, for example, but also on the user facing side of receiving payments or services through digital or virtual channels. Uh, and then in the final stage of kind of the ongoing management of social protection programs, we see digital platforms again being used to communicate with service users, um, also to monitor their outcomes, and also at the kind of system level, um, having um, the, the use of digital tools and platforms <coughs> for monitoring um, there. So then the next part of the paper basically tries to look at what are the outcomes of this, you know, what, what do we actually know from the studies that have been conducted about the impacts of digitalization initiatives in this sector, and we find very mixed impacts. So on the positive side, uh, we do have evidence for various studies of improved access for service users, um, in some cases, also improving their outcomes, you know, beyond just getting a service, actually the, the impact that they achieve through that service, um, greater accuracy and transparency of services for the service provider, uh, lower costs, increased efficiency, and better data for service improvement. Those are kind of all the potential benefits that, that were found in some cases in some studies. Uh, then on the other hand, we also do find evidence of um, quite substantial risks and challenges occurring in, in some contexts. So um, those mainly relate to data violations and putting vulnerable service users at risk, uh, heightened exclusion and kind of restrictions on access as a result of not being able to to reach um, the service through digital channels, uh, which results, of course, then in less effective provision overall. Um, and then the last point is to do with also sustainability challenges. And I think this has been discussed in, in various digital uh, uh, themes, um, the problem of kind of, even where systems actually are working well, very, the ability to scale those or sustain them, um, recruitment challenges, inadequate buy-in from different stakeholders, or kind of lack of a long-term strategy can um, be, be kind of some of the risks and challenges that were identified. And when we think about what determines which of those impacts occur, uh, we see, well, of course, it's going to depend. I mean, it depends on the context. It depends on the specific design and implementation of that initiative. Um, but beyond that, it also depends on what conditions are in place where the initiative is being implemented. So especially um, these are the categories that we kind of identified as the key conditions, uh, legal and institutional frameworks, um, the infrastructure, both the digital and financial services infrastructure um, that's in place, uh, the digital government capacity, um, digital access and literacy among the user population, and finally, uh, most importantly, really political will and stakeholder buy-in <laughs> to make the um, initiative work well. Uh, and then beyond that, we also identify and discuss in the paper how certain digital innovations will have different impacts depending on kind of what process they're part of, what pathway uh, the government is uh, kind of undertaking 
um, in the digitalization of their social protection system as a whole and, and where it fits in that pathway. Nick, feel free to move if it's too much no, work. Okay. <laughs> yeah, feel free to move on. <clears throat> Um, so what what do we mean by that? That's what we kind of look at in this in this paper is um, what pathways have different governments followed to digitalize uh, sector delivery. And what you can see on the screen here is, I guess, the traditional pathway that many governments are following. And this is based on the GovTech framework from the World Bank that many of you may be familiar with. But we kind of looked at how it was working in the social protection sector and saw that you in quite a few cases, you have governments that started off with analog systems, um, kind of their paper-based and manual approaches, and they've been gradually um, digitalizing those approaches and those systems to have kind of within individual programs, parts of that program becoming electronic basically. Um, and that's the sort of first phase. But then I guess the, the, the next phase, which is maybe the more transformational one, the more the one that relates more, I think, to kind of rethinking the service around the service user and also around the provider's needs. Actually, what you know, how can you have that system redesigned in a way that really maximizes the benefits of digitalization? That's this third phase um, of called digital government, and that's where programs are um, there's kind of an integrated sector-wide approach to digitalization, and, and in some cases also interoperable with other sectors too, um, and having shared shared digital architecture as well, often relying on a foundational ID system to link those different um, mechanisms and, and services. Um, so that's that was kind of the pathway that we looked at in a number of cases. Of course, this digitalization of kind of the core architecture um, requires quite a few things to be in place for it to work well. You can do it, but you'll encounter a lot of the risks and challenges that we discussed <laughs> if you haven't got these conditions in place, which we obviously discussed earlier, but we did note that you know in all these areas it's going to be also progressive development. Like you, as you work more in it, there's also the opportunity to strengthen a lot of these conditions. But the point is, with core architects, you can't you can't even get off the ground if you don't have some some uh, um, level of development in place in these areas. Um, but then then we ask ourselves, well, what happens in countries where they don't really have a social protection system, like a, a robust social protection system in place, even in analog or manual form? Like, they're, you know, it's a much more nascent area sector that they're working in. And that's the case in, in a fair number of countries that they haven't actually got around to developing at a system level those approaches. What, what's happening in those cases? And what we were interested in is cases like Togo, also Democratic Republic of Congo, where uh, actually they started by uh, going digital from the outset, uh, at least for some proportion of their population. Um, and for want of a better word, I know it's a, <laughs> a controversial term or has had kind of come in and out of favour, but we, we use the term leapfrogging innovations here to basically say that there is the opportunity to kind of move straight into that second or even third phase um, with certain innovations that are quite novel, even for um, more advanced social protection systems, you know, the use of uh, big data dr driven identification, uh, mobile money as the, the dominant payment mechanism, for example, these, um, these approaches can be leapfrogging in approaches can be leapfrogging innovations that may or may not actually become part of the system. So that that's uh, another question that we were interested in is actually are these just happening as ad hoc digital initiatives or are they is there a strategy in place to actually get to parts two or three <coughs> you know, um, straight away so 
uh, and in Togo, for example, that definitely is the case. They have that strategy, strategy in place. Um, so they can partly substitute for the lack of traditional architecture and can eventually become part of the core architecture, but only with a good strategy for embedding them. And we noted that that means that actually the cores it, under the second and third column, the core architecture is going to look different from one country to the next. And that's good. I mean, that, that, that there is room for the flexibility there as long as it packages together eventually to become part of the system. Um, we also have a bit of a discussion of the fact that I think leapfrog is often associated with kind of going rogue, like you don't need to think through, um, you don't need the same level of, of infrastructure in place and you can uh, kind of move much more quickly in that sense, but we, we caution on that. I mean, even when we when you look at the cases of, of these leapfrog innovations, yes, they may not have the traditional uh, arrangements in place, um, but they do have Kind of alternative arrangements um, present that allow those innovations to succeed. So, for example, on the payments related leapfrogging innovations, they rely on advanced mobile money infrastructure, access regulations, um, instead of the traditional financial services. Uh, and, and we also noted that where traditional infrastructure capacity and in institutions are maybe underdeveloped, that makes political will and pockets of digital government expertise all the more important. Uh, then finally, this isn't really a pathway, but we noted when we were kind of mapping out the different types of digital innovations, we noted that there was a whole host of um, initiatives that we called uh, supporting technologies or digital frills, um, playing around a little bit with the term, but uh, the ones in yellow here, which basically don't require the core, uh, core social protection architecture to have been digitalized for you still to be, to be implementing some of them. Um, and not necessarily that that's recommended, but, but that we know there is this distinction. Um, and, uh, and so when, when governments are thinking about um, the kind of the different investments in digital in, innovations, it's worth making the distinction between innovations that are gonna help you to build your core system versus ones that maybe, you know, might have useful benefits, they might be worth doing, but they won't, they, they won't necessarily be contributing to that core architecture development. Um, so they, yeah, they may require some fewer preconditions in some cases, they might focus on just a subset of the population, like the one that's easy to reach through digital means, but um, even then you need to be thinking about still having the non-digital uh, alternatives in place and, and having the, you know, even if the technical capacity might be being outsourced in some cases, you still need the expertise for kind of leading and managing and monitoring those initiatives. Um, and yeah, the last point there, just noting that the, these are kind of add-ons and um, not, not to be confused with kind of the comprehensive digitalization pathway, I guess. Um, that was a bit of a whistle stop tour of what's quite a long, long paper, quite dense, but hopefully gave you a flavor. Um, I'll leave it there so we have time then to move on to the panel discussion. I think the actual questions and discussion of this we're hoping to hear in the, in the last part of the session, but I'll hand back to Emily for the Thanks so much, Christy. Um, really fascinating research. I know I've got lots of questions. I'm sure. I'm sure you all do too. Um, but we will. We've been told we'll, we'll hold off on those. So keep them ready. We'll come back to it in Q and A. Um, but for now, we're really keen to hear some of our expert panelists' reflections about your experience of digitalizing in practice. Um, so I'd like to first turn to Costa. Um, and it would be great if you could start off by just telling us briefly about your pathway to digitalizing the social protection system in Ukraine and what have been some of the key developments um, for you in that digitalization process. 
Um, so brilliant. We're just getting up. This. Oh, yeah, fantastic. We've got the slide up as well, but Costa, over to you. Hello, colleagues. Greetings from Kyiv. And uh, if you see uh, this presentation, you see a small uh, illustration of our process of digital transformation. Because on the left side, we talk about our old system, uh, not centralized without uh, uh, connection with the old state register, with the papers in process, with the uh without uh, any verification any automatic verification uh, without uh, online access to this service and when we talk about our new system we talk about right side of this presentation we talk about uh extraterritorial principle of uh, using of state services state social services and social benefits we talk about dia uh, is it's our one-stop shop application and the state portal with all uh, government services and the social ones in the application it's our result of our uh, joint uh, uh, work with ministry of digital transformation and vice premier minister fedorov and when we talk about uh, uh, when we talk about inside of this system i need to say that for 20 years unsystematic attempts to, to, dig to digitalize social services and the social sphere in general have been made in Ukraine. And they have been made unsuccessful attempts uh, to unify all registers and database, but only with the beginning of the way of digitalization within the uh, country and the adoption in 2021 uh, of a specific action plan, the strategy of digitalization of social sphere, strategy of digital transformation of social sphere. Uh, it's about citizen-oriented systematic digitalization of social service and payments was started. My team has been taking care of this project since January 2022, uh, months uh, before the war. And uh, during this year, we uh, make uh, some changes in our plan uh, because uh, you know context, you know uh, full-scale aggression and uh, 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 and uh, we make a re reaction to this situation. Uh, and when we talk about development of uh, unified informational system of the social sphere, we talk uh, about, uh, first of all, uh, make a system of uh, interaction, system of connection with all uh, state register, with unif unified social register. And uh, uh, it's about social services and about social uh, uh, social benefits too. But due to the full-scale invasion of the Russian Federation in Ukraine, the focus of digitalization had been changed. Uh, due to the large number of internally displaced persons, we need to provide displaced person with the necessary services, such as obtained an IDP certificate and financial assistance for living uh, from the state for these people. It's uh, 
about 5 million Ukrainians who change uh, their place of living uh, in the territory of Ukraine, only inside of Ukraine. And we also implement, implement the possibility of submitting application for a number of adoption services uh, on the unified portal of public services DIA. After all, many children uh, were left without parental care. And uh, it was important to us to make the service convenient and uh, available online without any middlemen, without any papers. And we create uh, and uh, uh, and uh, we create this service uh, from consultation, online consultation to registration to adoption uh, candidate. And uh, third, I think that I need to say that we created the Idopomoha humanitarian platform idopomoha.gov.ua. Uh, this platform, it's uh, our uh, mm, it's our reaction, our reaction, our answer to the humanitarian challenge. Uh, and the platform has three uh, directions. Idopomoha state. It's uh, something like landing page about this information about assistance from the state for our people during the war, uh, especially for INDPs. Uh, second uh, section, it's Idopomoha volunteer. It's a P2P assistance from volunteers uh, from different countries uh, to, uh, to Ukrainians. Uh, it's uh, about, uh, it's about um, direct support without any middlemen. And Idopomoha International, it's a, a section of our platform. It's about monetary, it's, it's about cash assistance from international organization. Uh, when I have a first meeting with international organization in Kiev in April one year ago, our partners say that uh, in Ukraine, it's the first, uh, it's the first uh, experience for humanitarian organization to use state platform to uh, to uh, realization project of cash support uh, for our people uh, because uh, uh, during the war our uh, our banking system is working uh, our register is working uh, we have possibility to verificate all uh, data about social status and uh, when our partners, uh, uh, United Nations agencies, Red Cross, uh, etc., ask about uh, ask about roadmap, we talk about uh, fast uh, memorandum of understanding with ministry. Uh, 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 second second step, it's uh, about choosing the category for example when our partners ask about pensioners in Kherson uh, region uh, we send data of uh, our citizen uh, data with the uh, uh, payment requirements of our citizen uh, to directly to our partners uh, for example and our partners use different uh, uh, payment methods to support our people some of them use Western Union from Italy. Some of them use Ukrainian state banks. Uh, we don't. Uh, dict uh, it's it's uh, it's opinion of our. It's it's only about uh, 
opinion of our partners. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I think that our strategy of digital transformation is more uh, is more globally uh, than I talk. But uh, you need to understand uh, that humanitarian reaction and uh, uh, our task during the war is very specific task. But when we talk uh, when we talk about digital transformation in Ukraine globally, I totally agree with your slides about e-government. When we uh, about uh, digital government, when we talk about services for our citizen, we don't talk about uh, different services, different sites. We talk about DIA application or DIA portal. It's one-stop shop for for different uh, services from different ministries. And my digital uh, and my uh, digital team make something like back offices for uh, these services in our infrastructure and uh, our uh, in, in, in the one of our main tasks it's uh, making of uh, simple and convenient uh, services for our people uh, it's uh, about multi it's it's about multi channel experience because uh, part of uh, people use uh, a mobile application. Some of people use uh, uh, port, uh, uh, desktop portal. Some of people uh, need to go into social uh, center, social office in uh, their uh, region. And uh, we give uh, this possibility too. And uh, I need to say that when we talk about digitalization uh, and digital transformation of social sphere, before the war, we talk about transparency, we talk about efficiency, we talk about simple services for our citizens. But uh, when we talk uh, about digital services during the war, it's about safety too. Because uh, when you hear it, air air alarm, you don't need to go uh, to social offices and stay in queries and moving uh, through the uh, city. You only what you need, it's your mobile uh, phone, mo smartphone or uh, laptop to use uh, these government services. And uh, it's about uh, it's about safety and it's about uh, access and uh, it's about uh, fast reaction because uh, 5 million internally displaced people, it's a huge quantity of our citizens and I think that it's our biggest uh, service of registration uh, for the last years. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Costa. I mean, incredible what you've um, achieved in such a short space of time and that point on safety, I think. Um, a really important one, but also as you were talking about the sort of the role of digitalizing social protection within the broader digitalization of, of, of government and understanding that broader pathway and opportunity. And I think that's something that would be great to come back to in discussion. Um, but first, Veronica, I'd like to come to you and it would be great if you could please give us a sense of the pathway to digitalize Chile's social protection system and especially the social information system that you're in charge of. Um, so Veronica, over to you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very pleased to be here today with you. Well, um, to start, I would say that the Chilean pathway to digitalizing the social protection system uh, can be summarized into three moments or stages. 
the first one was very early uh, at the end of the 70s with Pichacas. Uh, this instrument uh, evaluated the socioeconomic condition of the household through a score, uh, which also determined the priority to access uh, social benefits. This score was based heavily on the position of material goods but that was left behind a long time ago. Uh, on that time, the municipalities collected the data uh, of the families at the local level and then integrated them into a, a central system provided by our ministry. Uh, they sent um, Excel files and we integrated them. Uh, in technological terms, uh, the lack of uh, early cross-validations allowed the same person, allowed, for example, the, the same person to declare different households in different cities causing integrity uh, failures. Uh, this resulted in inclusion or exclusion errors uh, when delivering benefits. Even though it was useful at the time, it was necessary to move towards a better system appropriate to the new conditions of the country, uh, which bring us to the next stage. Uh, the 2004 law created the Chile Solidario Initiative, uh, which linked extreme for poor families to numerous benefits and services with active social worker intermediation and outreach. The design of the national system for social protection uh, addressed the lack of communication among information systems managed by different agencies for numerous programs serving the, the Chile Solidario Initiative. The Chile Solidario system uh, also mandated the creation of a social information registry combining both the household registry uh, named Pita de Protección Social with an integrated uh, beneficiary registry that links uh, numerous programs uh, provided by different entities. Ficha de Protección Social was the new instrument that characterized the families and transited from a perspective of deficiencies associated with poverty to one of socioeconomic vulnerability. Uh, in technological terms, uh, this picture de protección social used the proximus testing system built on self-reported information from citizens uh, added to the first integration with the Chilean civil registry to avoid previous problems. This early interoperability was facilitated by the unique national ID that we have in Chile from a long time ago. To formalize the operation of the, this uh, race and um, in consonance with the 1999 law of, on data privacy, uh, its functioning and limitations were also regulated in 2007. Uh, since 2008, uh, we have signed uh, several collaboration and connectivity agreements um, which provide a formal, a formal framework for the exchange of data between the different uh, public entities. As of today, uh, we have 56 agreements with institutions of the central level, central government, and with uh, 345 municipalities along the country. Most recently, uh, progress was made uh, thanks to the advancing technology and connectivity such as the increase in interoperability between institutions and access to higher quality administrative records, uh, which bring us to the first state, uh, which is the current one. 
in 2016, uh, the social registry of households came into operation. This is the Registro Social de Hogares. Uh, RSH was designed as a highly interoperable system that combines citizens' self-reported information with batch and real-time data exchange with many other administrative systems. Uh, this registry now covers 86% of the Chilean population, uh, let's say 17 million people, and serves uh, over 120 programs. Uh, running from scholarships, education, labor aid, entrepreneurship, and many others. Um, uh, this uh, RSH also provides a citizen interface, uh, which is permanent, integrated, and dynamic. Citizens can update their information and access their information online or through local uh, offices. Self-reported information includes family composition, housing, conditions, uh, education, health occupation, health, occupation, and income. And data provided from different other organizations include uh, taxes, social security contributions, unemployment insurance, pensions, health insurance, health conditions, education, and property and vehicle ownership. In summary, I would say that the key developments in this digitalization process were the, of course, the existence of a unique national ID, which makes everything easier to connect the data. Also, um, a centralized platform capable of exchanging data with relevant organizations such as the civil registry and other Also, uh, the use of the combination, combination records uh, with um, administrative records with self-reported information, but we, we can't uh, let one part of the data behind. Uh, I also uh, must point out uh, that um, all what I said uh, um, is behind the protection and respect for the privacy of the people's uh, data and the legitimate use of this data by the government. Um, and this is very important, especially since 2018, uh, when uh, the protection of personal data became part of our constitution. That's what I wanted to say about this. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Veronica, and, and a lot to dig into there as well. Um, you, you've already touched on this a little bit, but would like to turn now to um, talking about the results in practice and really starting with the positive. So could you begin by just talking uh, briefly about the biggest benefits you've seen from your digitalization efforts? And I'd ask you respect respectfully to keep it this fairly brief because I'm keen to move on to discussion shortly. So Veronica, over to you first and then to Costa. Oh, sorry, Costa. Um, that was my uh, mistake confusing. We're gonna go to Veronica first to talk about okay. benefits and then to you. Thanks so much, Veronica, over to you. Okay, it's no problem. Well, uh, I would say that the main benefit of high, having higher quality data um, at the right moment uh, allows for more justice, uh, determining the eligibility uh, for social benefits and cash uh, transfers. Uh, secondly, the higher access to computers and internet allow the creation of uh, this citizen portal available also through cell phones. Um, and people uh, 
where people can see their own information and they can update, correct, or complement it uh, following a, a protocol um, that we give to them in order to have reliable information about their socioeconomic um, vulnerability. Also, um, this makes it necessary to visit the municipality saving time and money, which was uh, a big change uh, between uh, the Registro Social de Garias compared to the Ficha de Protección Social. Uh, also, uh, by being part of a social protection ecosystem, many public agencies uh, at the central and municipal levels can use this information to improve their own social protection processes. For example, uh, institutions can find out uh, what benefits families have already received to enhance the effect with complementary aid or to avoid duplication. This is also useful in earlier stages when designing new social programs. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, Costa, same question to you. What have been the greatest benefits? Uh, thank you. And uh, in order to release the results, uh, it is important to first understand uh, our context in which we are currently working. This is a full-scale aggression uh, of Russia, uh, as I say. And uh, my opinion is our biggest uh, achievements, and uh, it's about services for internal displaced uh, people. It's about uh, services for adopters and the creation of our Idupomoha platform, about which I uh, have already told a little. And I need to say that now, during the war, we implement uh, six, we implement in our uh, new system, unified informational system of social sphere, uh, six, uh, uh, six, uh, six social uh, benefits. It's uh, much uh, popular social benefits in Ukraine, uh, social benefits for families and, uh, and kids and uh, in Zhitomir and Rivne regions, thanks to support of uh, World, Bank, World Bank and uh, World Food Program of United Nations. World Food Program, it's uh, not a regular donor and regular sponsor of digitalization. They work uh, in another direction. But uh, when we work with in colleagues uh, during the first uh, months of the war, uh, they say that, Kostya, you not uh, need only food for people. You don't need only payments for people. You need infrastructure because... Uh, when we talk about register, when we talk about payments for people, you need uh, to uh, have a good payment infrastructure. And I uh, present for colleagues our this big project of our informational social system. Uh, we lose a budget in previous year because we focused our budget funds to our army to uh, to save uh, uh, our country. And uh, World Food Program support us and we uh, go ahead with the development, development of this system and implementation of step-by-step -step implementation of uh, subsystem of the system in our region and make uh, services in our uh, state mobile application and, uh, and portal. And I need to say that... Uh, we have a large number of forcibly displaced persons, hundreds of uh, thousands of people per day. And uh, they need support uh, uh, 
uh, and they located in different regions, uh, Central Ukraine, uh, uh, Western Ukraine. Uh, and uh, for quick registration of these people, we make multi-channel, as I say, we, we make multi-channel possibility to registrate, uh, self-registrate in uh, mobile phone. And it's about automatic registration. It's about automatic decision. If, the, if it's about social benefit without uh, state, um, I'm sorry, state, uh, hmm. State servant, sorry for my English. Uh, and uh, uh, when we talk about adoption service, it's not about simplify of service. We understand that uh, uh, it's not about, about only about bureaucracy. It's about safety of people. It's about good, uh, good uh, uh, decision of potential parents. Uh, and uh, we... Uh, make a fast and simple service, but uh, all controls, all uh, uh, verification of uh, candidates in working in the system. And now we're waiting the first adoption. After after long process of, we start, uh, we, we make this uh, service previous summer, and uh, in, in the first stage, it's only about consultation. Next stage, it's about registration uh, in candidate status. Status, and uh, after that, uh, after that, next steps. And now, in this in this spring, we're waiting for first uh, adoption via via our mobile application. It's not only mobile application process, but but consultation and initiative initiation of this process starts uh, starts online. Uh, and uh, I need to say more about Idopomoha. As I say, Idopomoha, it's uh, three. It's about three uh, section: uh, state support, P2P volunteering support, and uh, uh, government. Oh, sorry, Costa, oh, sorry, you're, you're on mute. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, uh, Actually, Costa, while you're just pausing a second. Um, oh, sorry about that. Um, I just also wanted to move on to talking a little bit about challenges. Um, and I think you've already mentioned some um, already. And obviously, given the, given the fact you're in a war, you're facing particularly pressing challenges. But could you just talk about Okay. Uh, okay. We, we don't talk only about results. We talk about problems and challenges right. too. Uh, one of uh, problems it's financing. When I lose by budget financing, I lose four months for finding donors, sponsor of our, sponsors of our digitalization. It's the first challenge. Next challenge it's about uh, e-learning of our people. Our previous system development in uh, 1980, uh, 80, uh, 90, uh, I'm sorry, 1998, uh, more than uh, 20 years ago. And uh, it's old system without controls, without verification, district oriented, with the possibility of uh, district corruption, without, uh, uh, throughout control. Uh, and but but uh, our our people in social offices it's uh, uh, thousands of people knew uh, know this system very good 
And when we implement a new system, we have a lot of job uh, to uh, to study, to learn people about the system, to develop uh, help desk uh, to support our uh, our our. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, it's not about citizen. It's about social workers who work, uh, so, so state servants who work with the system because it's uh, not a front system. It's about system for uh, social uh, people who work with social who work with oh, social yeah. benefits and social services. Uh, uh, it's our users of our system, and uh, it's 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 a long process about uh, and and third I think that third uh challenges it's a uh it's a migration of data uh, from old system to new it's really trash because in previous system uh we don't have automatic controls and any people and any any districts have possibility to write not correct information uh, and uh, when uh, people go into social office he use uh, only papers and uh, papers it's not about control it's not about connection of registers and decision and some of decision is wrong and we find uh, some uh, duplicates or duplicates of decision uh, wrong, wrong information etc and uh, uh, i think that we uh, cleaning three months uh, our previous data from previous system uh, uh to uh, migrate to uh, our our new system and this process uh, is uh, going thank you thanks very much um costa and i think for those of the, those of you who were with us this morning there's some really sort of common themes there that we were discussing earlier as well around sort of um digitalization to public to, to public finance processes you know particularly um, uh, sort of uptake and adoption, capacity building, but also real issues with sort of data quality, governance, sharing. And, and I know Veronica touched on those too, so maybe we can come back to some of those points. Um, but first, Veronica, same question to you. Could you talk us through one or two particular challenges that you face and some of the lessons learned from them? Yes, of course. Um, I would say that Maybe one of the recent uh, challenges is the um, increasing uh, migrant uh, people in Chile, which are um, in a regular situation. They do not have their unique national ID number, and that's uh, essential for uh, maybe all of our systems. So uh, we are trying to, to find out uh, some strategy to, to be able to uh, add these people and uh, make them part of the social protection system in the country. Uh, besides that, um, on a more structural um, uh, perspective, I would say that the use of administrative records is a permanent and complex challenge uh, since uh, this data is collected for different purposes. They are not collected for social protection or for the use for, by the government, but for uh, uh, business processes. Um, this creates a various complication. For example, uh, during the collection of the data, uh, problems, errors may occur. And if this uh, specific data is not part, uh, it's not an essential part of the uh, particular organization, they do not have the incentive to 
um, introduce uh, some form to correct uh, this data. Uh, so uh, is the da this data is collected with, with error or with mistakes, or they, they do not have uh, the right incentives to keep them up to date. So that's another problem. Um, so uh, in the same vein, um, administrative records uh, we use uh, come from uh, public institutions. These public institutions collect all this set of data from other companies or other public institutions. So uh, it takes uh, a time, one month, two months, uh, to uh, integrate all this data and to be able to have this uh, set of data to work with them. Um, that makes very difficult and very hard to uh, uh, use it uh, and interoperate with this data to have uh, uh, information on time and precise uh, to make decisions about people. Um, another permanent challenge, uh, a challenge is the, the need to increase and improve interoperability. Um, uh, with this, I refer to the idea of accessing the data when we require it, not uh, one month later, but now. And we have seen that um, not many organizations are uh, in the capacity to provide that kind of interaction. Uh, so we have uh, uh, several problems. I, I would say that they are technological capability problems uh, of some of the very important institutions that need to provide uh, data for this purpose. Uh, most of these public organizations do not have a sufficient technological capacity to handle significant volumes of simultaneous and concurrent online queries. This limits uh, the potential that interoperability can provide uh, to household socioeconomic characterization processes, such as shortening the time between a change in a household condition and its effective reflection uh, in the socioeconomic characterization. Uh, this latter uh, issue proved to be a difficulty in the face of substan substantive problems suffered by households, uh, such as negative effects uh, on income due to a calamity. Uh, for example, here in Chile, we, we have many earthquakes, uh, which causes uh, a high impact, uh, economic impact in many households. And we don't have uh, the information on time to, to be able to capture that uh, issue uh, regarding the condition of the family. Um, these limitations and interoperability are part of a national diagnosis uh, for which improvements are, are being made. Uh, in terms to improve the capacity in, in people and to make some investment in more appropriate technologies for this challenge. Uh, some concrete examples include, include the increase in public institutions that are mig migrating part of all, or all of their operation to cloud solutions in order to have elasticity when receiving increasing data requirements. Um, in the country also, we have a the challenge to uh, implement a digital transformation law within a period of five years that obliges, uh, among other matters, uh, uh, public services to implement uh, interoperability solutions that prevent people from having to repeatedly provide the same personal information when some other government services already has it and should make it available uh, to others that require it too. 
Brilliant. Veronica, thank you so much for that. Um, uh, really, uh, really interesting. Um, we're going to move on to uh, audience discussion soon um, and we'll go first to those in the room and then to those online and give you the opportunity to, to raise your hands and ask questions. But before we do that, um, I'd like to go to Richard, because um, Richard, you've worked with quite a range of governments on the digitalization of their social protection systems, some of whom have started from sort of not having much existing system and others who have had quite advanced sort of paper-based systems that, are, that they're now looking to digitalize. Um, you've also been following some of the developments and emerging technologies in the social protection space. Um, so based on what you've seen, how might the digitalization pathway differ for countries that are only now starting to develop a nascent social protection system? And I wonder if you might talk to us about from your view, what potential there is for governments to be able to leapfrog in their system development, drawing on some of these new technologies. Um, so Richard, over to you. Yeah, thank you so much. I think um, my other colleagues have already touched on some of the very interesting um, examples. Uh, I think that, that the first thing to remember is that we are looking at a nascent country or a nascent social protection system in a country there are a few key characteristics. So I think that the best way of looking at this particular issue is to first say, well, how does um, a nascent social protection uh, system look like? And what does it mean for digitalization? Um, so the first thing is, um, and I think um, Veronica's uh, Chile would not be falling in this particular category because clearly in the 70s, uh, they're already experimenting with some digitalization. But I think the key characteristic is the pilot schemes, uh, sometimes not national in scale. Um, and the, of course, the bigger advantage that comes with digitalization there is that the processes are not very mature. So they're not necessarily written into law. Um, it's very easy to make the changes uh, and, and, and easy, often easy to adapt and to take advantage of the latest uh, technologies um, in the market. The other, uh, of course, other characteristic is that there are multiple donor partners or development partners, uh, often supporting some of these um, uh, nascent social protection programs uh, through pilot initiatives or working jointly uh, with uh, governments around the world. Um, what that means also is that uh, there is often the availability of uh, budgets. I think. Um, we heard from Ukraine that I think budget is a very critical resource or a critical requirement to be able to finance uh, digitalization initiatives. So um, budget is a critical one, um, which means if there are donors that are willing to support, whether it's World Bank, whether it's the UN organizations and others, um, it should be practically possible to not only support the social protection program or scheme, but also equally more important, uh, support the digital uh, uh, initiative. But the risk uh, which is there, and I wanted to flag that, is that it could run into, there could be unsustainability if there is no, if these uh, digital projects um, are not um, underpinned by a very careful visibility assessments. Um, and, the, and these governments are, uh, do not budget for uh, maintenance uh, uh, funds that are used to maintain these uh, uh, systems. Well, the other factor, of course, is in a nascent social protection system, you often have either absence of or revolution of social protection policies, strategies, uh, program designs, operational processes, and documentation. 
what that means is that um, there is often need for agile uh, information systems. So thinking through digitalization means thinking through solutions that can be able to adopt to this uh, evolving uh, social protection system. So unlike, for example, a very mature uh, social protection program, say, for example, in South Africa, which has been running for, for many years, uh, it's part of the legislation and it, uh, its functions. Uh, in, 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 in nascent social protection systems, it means the documentation, uh, the processes and all that are not well concretized or mature enough. So it means that the systems also digitalization initiative need to be able to, or solutions need to be able to respond uh, to that. So what that means practically means is it may not be attractive for mature uh, software solutions or providers who already have very well set uh, software platforms or solutions for social security sector. And finally, um, sometimes there is weak on an existing data protection laws. And I think it was good to hear the, 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 the process um, in uh, Ukraine and also in, uh, in Chile. Uh, guidelines and protocols. So where there is lack of legislation, there can be, it can be a window to move quickly and do rapid integ integration initiatives. I recall in Uzbekistan, uh, over a period of uh, three or four years, uh, linkages were done uh, with more than 20 government um, uh, registries and information systems by this uh, national single registry. However, so sometimes, for example, where there is no law, for example, that says there is need to have data protection impact assessment or other protection requirements, sometimes they can, a lot of um, innovations can happen. Um, that is an advantage, but there's a downside to that in the sense that this, there's a risk of exacerbating individual data privacy issues among especially the vulnerable persons um, in the process of trying to uh, put in place uh, digital uh, initiatives or schemes to support social protection programs. So that's the first uh, response to the part of the question. Over to you. Great, thank you. Thank you, Richard. So final question then for you um, before we move to Q&A which is um, thinking about some of the key takeaways for countries here, for those who might be listening on the call from governments or working closely with governments on digitalizing their, their social protection systems. Um, Richard, if you had to pick just one or two lessons that might help other countries think about successful pathways to digitalize their social protection systems, what would those be? What are one or two of the absolute essentials that you think need to be in place to maximize the benefits of digital while addressing some of the substantial potential challenges and risks. Yeah, thank you. So, so I think I think we we the framing presentation already mentioned that uh, digitalization, um, of course, uh, especially for nascent uh, social protection systems, there is opportunity for new problems. Um, I think there was already the framing. So, they, any uh, country can pick. Uh, whether it's a process or technology and be able to move forward rapidly. I'm going to touch on that before I maybe answer your, your question. Um, and I think the, the, the first part is that is the flexibility to choose and configure multiple information functions along the social protection delivery chain. I think we looked earlier around every function within the delivery chain, whether you're talking about registration, uh, eligibility assessment, payment or benefit delivery, complaints and grievance management and others. Most of those particular functions can be configured and technology deployed 
to support one social protection scheme or multiple social protection programs. Uh, the second part, of course, for nascent systems is ability to leverage new and emerging technologies. And I think you, we've already touched on that and I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but we are looking at a plethora of technology choices, uh, which were not there before. I think uh, Veronica mentioned 1970s. I'm sure, for example, that um, mobile money uh, option was not there, uh, which provides very um, interesting options for the new uh, uh, programs or schemes uh, or nascent social protection schemes in countries. We talk about QR codes, SMSs, uh, internet, uh, machine learning and all that. Of course, some of these technologies, of course, also call for uh, data protection impact analysis because of the potential risks uh, that may be associated with the employment of these technologies. Uh, the, the third point also is, there is a lot of affordability of hardware devices with integrated at smart technologies. Um, previously, for example, when uh, countries were doing registrations, uh, there was a lot of investment. We had to invest in a lot of hardware infrastructure. Um, it's quite common nowadays for uh, registration process to happen uh, with the numerators recruited already having, for example, a smart device. Uh, of course, there should be requisite security processes before maybe data can be collected using uh, personal devices. But there are multiple options and, and, and countries are exploring through their digital transformation strategies, uh, options of um, utilizing some of the available uh, uh, solutions. And then of course there is the co-creation. So uh, digitalization of social protection systems can also create demand so that, uh, and so that other enabling legislative and governance environment uh, elements can be also uh, put in place. Uh, so it could create demand for digital transformation strategies to be uh, enacted, policies, laws, data protection laws to be put in place, the need for functional, for foundational ID systems and other broader government uh, systems. Um, the second part, quickly going with the second part of the question. Um, so the lessons, two key lessons that I wanted really to emphasize strongly from experience working across multiple uh, projects in many countries. If you are working on digitalization uh, initiative, uh, the first part is the clarity of policy imperative. So uh, there is a saying that um, the, the dog uh, or the tail does not work the dog. Uh, it also applies to technology. And it's extremely important that the technology should not drive the social protection scheme design. Uh, there should be clear thinking in terms of the objectives. And I think it's good that we are emphasizing the importance from the outset, thinking through the reform, uh, thinking through the design uh, before um, there can be the technology solution can be uh, configured or put in place to support. So ultimately, uh, digitalization uh, should be able to provide value to stakeholders, the beneficiaries of social protection schemes, the general public who are struggling with loads of paper. And we have to be carried around, who are being moved from one office to another. Digitalization should support address that. Uh, there should be transparency uh, to the program man managers of the programs. There should be also information available for good information available for the policy makers. So that's the first thing in terms of clarity of the policy will ensure that there is uh, the technology that will be deployed will now ensure that uh, the process moves uh, even better. Second part is, I think what I thought was very important is aligned digital principles. 
Uh, digital principles have been there uh, for a while now, and they emphasize multiple elements that are so crucial, designing with the user, uh, understanding the ecosystem, thinking about the scale, uh, building for sustainability, thinking very carefully about if you are doing a, if it's a donor-funded uh, digitalization project, what does it mean when the funding comes to an end? Plan that from the outset. Uh, being data-driven and good quality data, uh, building for sustainability, uh, using open standards. Uh, there, there's a lot, there are quite a lot of global uh, open uh, source uh, tools that are becoming available within the sector, uh, addressing privacy and security and being uh, collaborative. So I think there, there are quite a lot of initiatives that are currently ongoing within the sector to um, uh, shed more spotlight on, on that particular issue. So what are the two absolutely essential things that need to be done? Uh, enabling environment. I think that has already been emphasized by Veronica and uh, uh, Kostina from uh, Ukraine. Um, legal framework, digital transformation, data protection, political will and leadership, uh, and a strong governance framework to address challenges and risks and champion that. So where you have, for example, a, a, a digitalized digital transformation strategy, it's much easier. Where you have a data protection law, it means you're beginning from somewhere. Uh, Veronica mentioned about already processes that ensure that you do not duplicate data collection. You collect the data once and then sh share with others. But you can only do that when there is a robust uh, data protection framework to enable that. And then, of course, the second part is transform processes, reform design, and solid and clear business requirements. No technology provider wants to come and work on something that is not very clear at all. I think if it's a social protection program, you're talking about you're designing a social registry, you were very clear about what it is. If it's a program information system and these are the functions, you need to have very clear operational procedures and processes that document that. That makes it easy. If there is need for reform of the processes fast, then that needs to be done before you even uh, bring on board the digitization initiative. So that's, those are the two essential things that I could quickly uh, think on top of my mind. Uh, back to you. <clears throat> Thank you, Richard. Um, some really great messages to end on there. Um, really support, I think, emphasising the importance of, um, of how, uh, how you go about some of this work and the digital principles for, for development, um, uh, particularly designing with the user and sort of uh, building for sustainability. And there's some great resources online there, which I'll, I'll put in the chat um, if folks haven't come across that already. But also, I think that message of really starting with clear outcomes rather than a technology solution. And again, that was that was something that came up really strongly in this morning's discussion. Um, so I'm really pleased now to turn it over to Q&A. My ask would just be that you keep your kind of comment or question as brief as possible so we can get around lots of people. Um, for those online, please do feel free to raise your hand or if you feel more comfortable, put a question or a comment in the chat. Um, but I'm gonna go to the room, folks in the room first um for any kind of uh, questions and comments and if not i'm going to put a near on the spot because i know a near you've been doing some fantastic work on digital social protection in, in bangladesh so it would be really interesting i think to hear sort of what resonates in this um sort of discussion so far and what have we missed i think a lot of what uh, thank you emily <coughs> so a lot of what uh, sorry Hine, do you want, want to just introduce yourself as well oh, sure sure of course uh, my name is Anil Choudhury, Policy Advisor of the Digital Transformation Program of the Government of Bangladesh, uh, called Aspart Innovate. Uh, been at it for the last 15 years, 
the last six years on digital protection, social protection. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of what the panelists and speakers have talked about, I think resonate. Uh, starting with the outcomes, going iterative, no big bang approach. Uh, we now cover about 30 million people uh, with various forms of social safety nets, all of which uh, became digital during COVID. And it was only possible because we started the work in 2017 with about 100,000 in the pilot. That was also a big pilot. It's a big country in terms of number of people, 170 million people. And uh, if we hadn't done that, if we hadn't uh, sort of matured the technology by iterating uh, from a small pilot, from a small uh, uh, architecture. And architecture was always, uh, from the very beginning, we said it's a people-oriented architecture. So we wanted to, we called it the choice architecture. How do you want the money to be delivered to your hands? So do you want to go to a bank branch? Do you want to go to one of these thousands of non-bank branches that we created? Do you want to go to a mobile money uh, outlet where you can actually take out the cash? Um, what kind of biometric we actually linked it with, uh, uh, with a national ID for uh, students under the age of 18? who did not have national ID, we actually linked it with birth registration, which was then later linked with national ID. So a lot of what, what we'll discuss resonate. Um, two things I wanted to bring up. One is how do you, uh, I mean, when, you, when you're building an architecture, often when you're doing iteration without, so there is the social outcome, but also there is the large, I think, architectural plan that you have to have. Mm. Otherwise what happens is, you start building pilot and there is this uh, concept that came from health, mobile health piloting in Africa called pilotitis. So essentially you do a lot of pilots, a lot of pilots, and then they fizzle out as pilots because you haven't built a large architecture. So I just wanted to know from anybody, anybody on screen who, who presented uh, about uh, how you make that, make that uh, conscious decision about as you're piloting, you also have to keep an architecture, large, large architecture in mind. So I just wanted to ask that. Yeah. Uh, another question uh, to Costa in, in, in Ukraine about how the P2P really works. It, it sounds like a very interesting uh, social protection done by people for people. And exactly how that's, that's done, how it's monitored, how quality assurance is done. Uh, some some light on that would be really helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Anir. Should we go, um, Costa, should we go to you first and then to Veronica? Uh, thank you for question, and I start for second uh, from second question. Uh, it's a, a very interesting mechanic, but its mechanic is uh, very popular because we use. Uh, uh, mechanic of uh, gift uh, online gift certificates. Uh, for example, when uh, you donate uh, for Ukrainian from another country, you make it online from credit cards or uh, uh, PayPal, Google, Google uh, Pay, etc. And on the another side, our citizens uh, have uh, gift certificates on the fixed amount uh, for food medicine or fuel and uh, we open to integrate with any ukrainian worked retailers 
retail networks and these retail networks in uh, cashers of this uh, retail networks uh, uh, use these gift certificates and people uh, going from these retail networks with food or with the medicine or with fuel uh, when it's about gas station. It's uh, very transparent. We have uh, uh, we have dashboards and uh, analytics about uh, our process. And when you are a benefactor, you have a simple and I think it's not about stigmatism. It's uh, very um, uh, uh, it's uh, Online as an online report you uh, have from our system is fiscal check check from the store with uh, uh, officials uh, check from the store with uh, uh, list of purchases uh, of your of people whom you support. We talk about this system. It's, it's not. It's not about so, uh, social benefits. It's not about social services. It's something like additional uh, support of our people during the war. And we make this technology for Ukraine, but we think that uh, after the war, this technology is convenient for any countries with humanitarian disasters to uh, uh, to direct support of people. It's better than classic humanitarian. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, humanitarian aid because it's uh, in natural form, because it's about support of final uh, people who need support and support all supply chain in uh, our cities, support of uh, stores, support of producer and uh, personal of this, uh, uh, of this, uh, uh, of the stores and the local producers too, uh, and it works. Uh, it it works. Uh, I think that it works uh, automatically and uh, not not bad. But we need a more uh, a more information about this platform. People from uh, fifty countries use our platform uh, from Ireland, Norfolk to uh, Canada, uh, all around uh, all around the earth. But I think, but it's uh, but from uh, five thousand of our benefactor only. Uh, only six, uh, only seven hundred. It's international benefactors from another countries. I think the, that we need more uh, word of mouth about our platform, but because we don't have marketing budget about this uh, charity humanitarian platform. But uh, our uh, influencers in Ukraine support us, and uh, some uh, international influencers support us too. Thank you. Uh, and the uh, first question about uh, pilots and about pilots and the quick project, as I remember, in a region we use this practice. For example, now we uh, our old system uh, work in uh, all regions of Ukraine, but uh, six uh, uh, six popular and uh, much biggest uh, social. Uh, Social benefits uh, we uh, we we implement in uh, Zhitomir and Rivne region. It's our pilot region, and we work directly with these people who work with our system. And my team and I regularly uh, come to this region to talk with our users. 
and uh, to see uh, to to have a feedback, uh, real feedback from our users. Thank you. Thanks so much, Costa. Veronica, did you want to say anything on the um, question of how you overcome pilotitis? Yes, of course. Uh, we have uh, a couple of examples I can share with you. Uh, one of them is uh, named Gestión Social Local, something like social local management. Um, this is an experience uh, working with uh, at the municipal level. Uh, the idea was to understand how the social workers uh, uh, face uh, everyday relationship with the citizens and, and try to understand what kind of information they needed to perform a, a, a better, um, better attention to the people and give a more appropriate help or aid to these families. Um, this work started with uh, the help of the World Bank and it started with uh, a handful of uh, municipalities um, uh, drawing and identifying each of the processes and the people involved in each part of the process and the need uh, to communicate uh, people from one office of the municipality with another from the same municipality that maybe we're not talking. Um, and they were connected uh, and they agreed to work together. Uh, and this was not only about the technology behind, and was not only about the data we were providing to them, but also, uh, but it, it was mainly about the uh, written this agreement uh, inside a, each municipality to work together uh, using this platform that we provided to them uh, to improve the experience of the citizen uh, in terms of the social protection. Uh, as I said, uh, this um, uh, pilot started in 2019 with a handful of municipalities. Today, uh, uh, over 200 municipalities are already involved in the project. And um, the, the goal is to reach the 345 municipalities. Uh, other example of um, piloting is with the, uh, what we call um, oficinas locales de la niñez, something like children local offices. Uh, these are uh, special uh, offices um, installed to uh, protect the children and protect their uh, their rights and avoid uh, uh, vulnerabilities. Uh, this this is part of um, a main um, public policy in, in order to protect the, uh, the children uh, um, and teenagers um, to improve their relationship with the, with the state and provide everything that the, the state uh, can give to them to uh, make easier their life and, and avoid risks or, or the, the problems with the, their rights. And this started also uh, with a handful of municipalities. And this year, we're going to reach over 90 municipalities. So those are two examples. Thanks so much, Veronica. And really nice, I think, examples of, and go back to Anir's question of sort of thinking big, you've got those big aims in mind, but starting small um, with, with a handful just to test out. Um, so um, before we go to some questions in the chat, any other questions or comments from folks in the room? It's Yamele. Oh, Yamele, yeah, please come in. Thank you. 
just on the, on the common of the pilotitis. <laughs> I, yeah. I, uh, I'm familiar with that. Uh, I think sometimes uh, what, what we should pay more attention is, the, is really the, the government capacity to own the agenda in, in the medium to long term. I mean, I, I work in various contexts. And yes, with a project, one can always finance a PIU that finance expert that finance uh, uh, the, the social registry. But then, but then it needs to be transferred to the government. And I, and I think uh, eventually, not not to the PIU, the PIU. It's part of the government. It's parallel to the government. So for it to be sustainable, it really needs to be become core of government activity. And I think that's much easier in uh, in in settings where there is already. Uh, a government that can hire and pay and keep people doing the IT, maintaining the IT. I mean, we were just doing in Albania a project and, you know, the project financed some development of the social registry, but then it got integrated into the government. You know, it's going to stay and remain there uh, and that they're going to work with it. In uh, much uh, lower income settings, sometimes the problem is really that integration step. So I, I actually think we should learn sometimes to better adapt uh, our ambition in a project, in a financing, with uh, actually the long-term sustainability view. And that's something uh, I think we don't always get right. I think we're starting to get it right, but we don't always get right yet. Thank you. Um, I think really, really important point there on sustainability. And I, I'm, I, I'm conscious that we're almost out of time and I want to be respectful of everyone's time and we'll try and finish in three minutes. So I suggest we pick just one question from chat. I, um, yeah. Do you want to choose? Well, I can I can take, because the, um, the two from Pamela, so uh, on the chat, there were some questions about the research and the um, scope of it, basically, which um, digital innovations we studied. And uh, the response was, it wasn't, um, we, we looked at high, middle, low income countries or regions, and we were looking for studies where there was kind of rigorous evaluations in place. Um, so we didn't have a, they didn't have to be innovations of a certain time length or anything, uh, just because there aren't actually that many uh, um, studies of digital social protection. I mean, there's lots of studies of, of cash transfers, but isolating the impact of the digital intervention. Um, it was quite difficult to find studies. So uh, yeah, we, we didn't have a minimum duration, but we did try and think about how it might be, you know, how the impacts are going to be different um, if a, an innovation is in place for longer. Um, and the question on um, sustainability and, and looking at systems over time, that's a quite limited area. A lot of it um, isn't documented, I think, when it doesn't go well, but where there was evidence on that, we, we've included it. Um, so there's the first two, the last question, that's not for me, that's for the government partners. Um, but on, well, I'll just uh, relay it if, it, if that's okay. And for Veronica and, and Costa, um, what was the initial trigger for the move towards digitalization? I would say it was the need. We had to take care of many people and we need to use the resources as uh, uh, the best way we were, it was possible. And um, the technology is an important tool to do that. Fantastic, the need. And Costa, same question to you. I mean, you've talked a bit about it already, but if you had to sum it up, 
I need to say that uh, we have a good support uh, inside our government because I, we have not only one vice premier for vice prime minister for digitalization and the ministry of digital transformation, but we have a network of deputy of digital deputy uh, as, as me, uh, chief, chief digital transformation officer of, mini, of any ministries. I have partner, uh, digital partner in any ministry to connect and make something together. And when we talk about partners, I, uh, I, I say thanks to World Food Program, World Bank and UNICEF who support us in different projects because uh, we talk uh, not only digitalization, not about digitalization for digitalization. We talk about purpose. We talk about uh, uh, additional, additional. Uh, I'm sorry, um, additional uh, result uh, for uh, people-oriented result. And we talk about uh, not only about digital solution. We talk about transformation uh, for people categories and in uh, difficult circumstances from uh, hard situation to uh, to normal economical life and uh, our digital solution and our digital solutions our social benefits our social uh, services it's all about this purpose and i think uh, that it's uh, all it's it's a main idea for our partners to support our di different uh, project from their mandates uh, they have. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much. So I think that all, all that's left for me to do is to say an enormous thank you to all our speakers and panelists. So first, thank you. Thank you to Christine Jamele for present, presenting some of your research. We should expect that forthcoming. Yeah, I don't know, Jamele, like in the next few months. The next few months. Yeah. Fantastic. We're going, to keep an, we're going to keep an eye out for that. Um, Costa, Veronica, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to share with us um, some of the fantastic work that you've been doing and some of your lessons learned. Really appreciate it. Um, and finally, Richard, thank you so much too for sharing some of your reflections. I think that's been really, really helpful for all of us, both online and in the room. Um, so thanks very much to, to everyone. And, um, and for those of us joining for the next session, I think that's starting in 15 minutes. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you so much, colleagues. Thank you. Bye.